Good morning. Good to see everyone here as always and, uh, and also online. So thankful that you're joining us. And I want to say a special good morning to the Ray family and anyone else with the Rays who are joining us from Uganda uh, this morning. They made it there safely, and so we want to say welcome to them as they said hello earlier online. And uh, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and just thankful that we get to be a part of what God is doing. And, uh, and we just daily walk in his ways and desire to know him better. So I invite you, we're going to be in primarily in Romans chapter 12 today. So if you want to turn there, you can. And we're also briefly going to look at chapter 25 of Matthew. And so we're going to be in those two uh, spots of scripture. As you turn there, I want you to imagine with me uh, something that you are just driving uh, down the road. Uh, if you are too young and do not have your license, you're on a bicycle. And uh, it's just a beautiful day. Uh, actually, no, it doesn't work with a bicycle. You're riding with your parents. And so you are moving along in that car. Just a beautiful day. Windows are down. Music is playing or your favorite podcast, whatever it may be. It's just a good day. Things are going right. Then all of a sudden you look down at your dashboard and you see this on your dashboard. The check engine light comes on. Ugh. Right? And that is just the day that you're just like, no, no, no. So you have one of two options at this point, right? One is you get that looked at. You plug your tool in, you go to shop, whatever it may be, and you get that fixed. The other option is you just ignore it. Like maybe it really didn't mean to come on. Maybe, I just hear an amen. <laughs> Maybe it will go away if you drive another couple hundred miles or a month or two. You just let it go and you're like, Lord, just please let that check engine light go away. It's not really supposed to be there, right? So just out of curiosity this morning, how many of you are the get, figure out what the problem is and get it fixed as soon as possible type of people? Put your hands up, don't be ashamed. All right, all right. What about the uh, ignore it and pray it away type of people? All right, wow, pretty, pretty decent balance. So, so we're gonna check all your cars after service, especially those who raise your hands for the get it fixed type of people and see if it's there. So we, like cars in many ways as human beings, we need tune-ups, we need repairs, sometimes minor repairs, other times massive overall, overalls, overalls of the uh, whatever it is that's broken. But also, we have check engine lights that come in in our life, in our heart, in our minds. We have these, these alerts that let us know that something needs attention. If that light's on in your car, something needs attention. If it's on in your life, something needs attention. And uh, earlier this month, uh, that light came on for me, that internal check engine light. And so I, I text my counselor that I've seen on and off for the last number of years and said, all right, what do you have open? And so I went in and visited him this week, and one of the main things we talked about was stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety in our life. Anyone ever experienced stress and anxiety? A few people? All right, anyone experiencing it right now? Maybe a few people? There we go. I appreciate the honesty. And he said that's the number one topic that people are coming in and talking about is stress and anxiety. The realities of life just in general and, and how things are just changing around us constantly. Later that night, I went home and I saw a post from Jenny Allen. She wrote these words. She said, it's not weird if you are anxious in these chaotic times. It would be weird if you weren't. Life 
is new levels of crazy everywhere for you personally and just the world. She said, I feel more anxiety than I have in 10 years. Just want you to know that you are not alone. Sometimes those are beautiful words. You are not alone. And so what do we do with this reality? Do we accept the reality or do we reject it or is there another way? I mean, we can accept the reality when we look ourselves in the mirror or someone comes to us and says, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. We can just say, well, yeah, it's just part of life. It's the reality of our world right now. We just have to deal with it. We're just gonna push through. The phrase that drives me crazy is it is what it is. And some of you are gonna be funny this week and just text me it is what it is or tell me that in a conversation. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, So you can just accept it of like, this is just the way things are gonna be. Or you can reject it. Some of you are saying, but Chris, Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything. Chris, you need to pray. You need to give thanksgiving and the peace of God will rest on you. Well, I believe that. And I think most of you believe that same thing too. But what if that keeps hitting you in the face again and again? Is that stress and anxiety and the realities of the world? We surrender to Jesus, but we just keep feeling that. And we surrender and we surrender. So it comes to the question of the title of the message today of who am I to care? I mean, who am I to care about my own reality, my own stress, my own anxiety, my own being, and who am I to care about others? Because it's very easy just to be cynical. Here we go again. Or feel like you're not equipped to help anyone else. I can't help them. I'm, I'm dealing with myself. But I want to tell you that the way we engage care is very cross-centric, meaning in the sense is that it's centered on Jesus Christ, is that it is ultimately Jesus that brings the change. It's ultimately Jesus that brings the hope. It is ultimately Jesus, the one we put our trust in and the one we receive from and for the Spirit of God to guide us as we care for ourselves and we care for others. So who am I to care? Well, we're going to look at that today. And how am I going to care? We're going to throw some possibilities out. But I think the Spirit of God is going to really let you know what that means in your life and in your world that you walk in every day. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 25. And so I invite you, if you have a Bible, you can go there. Now I'm going to warn you that the scripture on the screen is a translation different from what I'll be reading. Uh, That was my mistake, and uh, I failed to correct that in between services as well. So I apologize in advance. Uh, if that bugs you, just don't look at the screen. Um, you just listen to the words or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll work through it. It'll be okay. Chapter 25, starting in verse 35, says this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Matthew 25, verse 37, it says this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And it's this question of like, his disciples are like, hold on, Jesus. You've been clothed. You've had enough to eat, enough to drink. You haven't been in prison as as much as I know. Um, this questioning of like something's going on. 
The righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Verse 38, when do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? In verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now this is a passage that we very quickly look at, we read, and we think of the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden. We need to go and help others, which is true, which is great, which is fine. But we need to look closely, especially at verse 40 here, of who Jesus is speaking to, who Jesus is telling his followers to care for, to clothe, to give food, to give drink, to, to visit, to care for. In verse 40, he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Jesus is saying, hey, how you're serving and caring for the family of God, you're doing it for me. My brothers and sisters, my children. He's saying, take care of each other. Take care of those fellow followers of Jesus, those, those followers who, who, who seek God. Take care of each other. Because when you care for your brother and sister in Christ, Jesus is saying, you're caring for me. You're doing these things for me. But when you ignore your brother and sister in Christ, you're ignoring Jesus. See, how we care for each other is how we care for God. How, how we love other believers is how we love God. And how we love God is to love other believers. And that's how we love God. And we go back and forth, back and forth. See, it's not just this like, I love God. I love people. There's a tangible reality that happens when life intersects with each other. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're gonna look and we're gonna walk through this of what does it look like to care for one another, to care for followers of Jesus. What does this look like? Now, as Nick mentioned at the end of first service, is it is impossible to dive into every element of this chapter. It is extremely rich. And hopefully what you'll do is you'll hear something today and maybe that'll be just a highlight for you and, and you'll be like, okay, that's what I'm gonna remember. But then when you come back and you're thinking like, how can I care? What does God want me to grow in? You can go back to this chapter and pick any number of these realities to walk in as you follow Jesus now, the book of Romans is set up really into two different sections. The first section can be divided from chapter 1 to uh, chapter 11. And this is really the theology and the doctrine of salvation. This is the heady stuff of what does it mean to know Jesus as our Savior? What does it mean to be saved, to be changed? And then there is a transition word in chapter 12, verse 1, that changes to the latter part of this book which is the praxis. This is the, the outpouring of what do we do with this? Because this is not following Jesus right here, or even right here. It is the here and here, and then it goes to the praxis. It's not just something to think about and to know and to be educated about, but it's something to live out in our world. And so in chapter 12 of Romans, verse one, the first word is what? So, and, yep, depending on the translation, is therefore. Um, 
is, see, this is messing me up here. In, in the NIV, it says this. It says, therefore. It is this transition word, therefore. Pastor Gerton used to always say, if you see therefore, what is it? Therefore. And it's to take the first part, the first 11 chapters, and bridge it into the last ones. It writes this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So why do we live this out? Well, it's God's mercy. It's his forgiving grace that he's poured out, this forgiving work on the cross. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So you can come and sing songs. You can pray. You can read your Bible. These are all good things. But what he's saying here is that when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, Spirit of God, use me. Take me wherever you need to. Whatever that is, wherever that is, the workplace, school, neighborhood, a place where strangers are, whatever it is, use me. It may be holy and pleasing. This is worship. And it says, do not conform, in verse two, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Gerton talked about the battlefield. He talked about what do we think and, and what do we process. He's saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. The pattern that God calls us to is radically different than the pattern the world calls us to. We've been talking about this for months. Is that the pace the world calls us to is so fast and so self-focused. The pattern of God is much slower and much other focused. In Romans chapter 12, verse three, it continues. For by the grace given me, I say that every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So again, this is about humility. I am being humbled because I, I, I messed up the screen here this morning. It's this humbling before that we're not perfect, that we're, we fall short, but God does the work. Verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I wanna pause here for a moment and think about the body of Christ, is that you and I, we need each other. We do. We war against this whole rugged individual and the modern self and I can be whatever it may be is that we need each other. Our stories, our life history is really boring if we take out everyone else besides our own story. You can't tell the story of your life without mentioning other people. We as a church, we need each other and this is not just our church, the church of Jesus Christ needs each other. I love when I go somewhere else and I meet a fellow Christian that is, I've never met before is we immediately have something in common. Our core identity is based on the same thing being Jesus. We connect. There is this great opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to, to stand and to be a light in the world. We all have a part in the church. We all have an important role. And here at FBC, whether you've been here for a really long time 
or whether it's just been the last couple years or you're just starting to get plugged in or maybe this is even your first connection with a church. You are welcome here. I love, uh, a pastor friend of mine said, you know, we as pastors, we need to stop desiring just more and more and more people to come into the church because then we can accomplish what God wants to be done here. And what he said, he said, what I'm learning is that God has placed the people in your church, in this church, in this church, to accomplish what he wants to. And so as I look around in this service and other service and those who are joining us online and, and those who just couldn't be here this morning, there is amazing gifts and talents in all of you, is that you all have something to contribute to the church of Jesus Christ. You all have a role to play. This is scriptural. We're one body, but every part matters. You are part of the family. A number of months ago, uh, someone said something to me which just struck me. And it was a simple comment, but it was very profound. As I had been volunteering in a, a place and, um, and just giving time and, and getting to know a lot of the people there, is that someone looked at me and said, Chris, I want you to know you're part of the family. And that took me, like I almost got teary-eyed in front of this person because it was someone saying, hey, you belong. You belong in this place. Now, I was new and I was just getting plugged in and just, just starting to connect. And I want you to hear that same thing, is that you are part of the family. As you grow, you are part of the family and God wants to do a work in you and through you and so whether you feel extremely connected or just starting to get connected, continue to know that you are a part of it. It's, that it's God's body. And as verse six says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Being a part of the body of Christ is not about consuming. It's not about just coming on Sunday, hearing a message, singing some songs, and then going on with your week. Some of you are here and you're in a season of healing. Whatever that is, I recognize that. And you need to heal and you need to be but I wanna tell you, that's not where you stay. Part of healing is stepping into the care of others, not just waiting for everyone to care for me. Part of your healing process is stepping in and giving your life away. We can't just come and consume as a church. We can't just come and say, everyone else will do the job. Someone else will do all the tech work. Someone else will take care of the kids and teach the kids. Someone else will take care of the lawn. Someone else will do this. See, we as followers of Jesus, we have opportunities all week long, out and wherever we're at, but there's also opportunities to serve here during the week. There's opportunities to serve on Sunday. And one of the things I want you to start to consider is that you attend second service here. You're part of the second service. So what does it mean to potentially come and serve in first service? and then come and worship in second. Same thing I said to first service is, you come to first service. What does it look like for you to serve in second service? To be a part, to serve our children, to, to serve as a greeter, to serve as an usher, to, to work with the tech team, whatever it may be. 
And our service doesn't just stay contained in the building, it goes out, but what does this look like? Not just to consume. Because we need to care for one another. We need to have an opportunity to respond to what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Verse nine says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. I wanna encourage you. When you are caring, when you are serving, when you are loving, that it takes time and effort and it's often inconvenient, right? When someone has a need, whether it's your kid, your neighbor, a stranger, the church, whatever it may be, you're like, oh, that doesn't quite fit into my schedule. Or, eh, it's kind of late. It's outside of my caring timetable here. Like, care is inconvenient. Care calls us to give of ourselves. Care calls us to, to go and have coffee with that friend when we, we don't have time. Care calls us to give ourselves away. And care calls us to be devoted to one another in love. And that devotion is giving of ourself. And that does not mean running yourself just to the end where you break. We just came off two series talking about eliminating hurry, about being healthy. And so it's about this balance. But we honor one another above ourselves, scripture says. We bring others' needs before our own. Being a parent, that has been the biggest lesson. Someone told me a long time ago is get rid of your selfishness before you have kids. Like work it out as much as you possibly can. I, I did not eliminate selfishness by any means. But it's this giving of oneself. Being a parent, you're giving to your kids all the time. Being part of the body of Christ, you're giving to one another in the name of Jesus. Verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. This is a good reminder for us. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with those in need. You may look across the congregation here and be like, man, everyone has it together except for me. It's not true. We are all in need. We all have different realities. And maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, relational, spiritual. There's all sorts of different needs, and we need each other. Part of that is being honest. Hey, I have this need. I need to have coffee with someone. Hey, I have this need at my house. Hey, I have this. Whatever it is, it's being part of the body. And I love this, these last two words in verse 13. Is, is, it says here on the screen, it says, show hospitality. It's translation, it says, practice hospitality. The Greek word for hospitality is the, the word philiozenia. Now, you've heard the word xenophobia a lot the last couple years. And what xenia means is foreigner or stranger. But what hospitality is, is this first word is the word friend. So it's friend of the foreigner or friend of the stranger. Hospitality stands in the face of fear because fear is what keeps us separate from someone who's different, the stranger, the foreigner. But hospitality takes us to the friend of the foreigner or the friend of the stranger. The word says to practice hospitality. See, Jesus' ministry was all of hospitality. 
It was all about this filiozenia. The New Testament scholar Joshua Gipp said this, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase, divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. Jesus was all about this radical welcome and creating these pockets of love and care. Jesus existed in a culture of fear, much like we do. And Jesus said the way we're gonna stand against that is with hospitality. We're gonna connect with others. We're gonna connect and we're gonna care and we're gonna give of ourselves. We're gonna have this pocket of love, this pocket of care. And the church is intended not to be a haven from the world of let's, let's all huddle here on Sunday so we can block the world out. No, the church is to be a haven of hope and healing. It's a place where people can come in and meet Jesus and meet a human being who loves and embodies Jesus. John Tyson, he gives a great formula for this. He said, an environment of welcome is created. You add a transformation of identity. This is Jesus that does that work. And all of a sudden we have a new humanity, a new reality, the way the church should be. So we create an environment of welcome. Jesus does a transformation of identity and we have a new humanity, a new reality, a church that looks like Jesus. Where we move from stranger to guest to friend. Our family. From stranger to guest to friend and family. It's a movement that Jesus does. Look at his disciples. He welcomed disciples in. They were from all different walks of life. I can only imagine what some of those early gatherings were like. He created a place where strangers became guests, which became family, and he changed them. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. So for as much as you want to say that thing you want to say about someone else, for as much as you want to do that thing, to be the church that cares it's to bless and not to curse. It's to be like, eh. mm-hmm. Augustine, one of the early theologians of the church, he supposedly had a sign in his dining room that said, whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. And what if we took that same practice at the tables we sit at? Let's just start at our tables. We're gonna have our stand-up conversations next and move into other things. Whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman at this, that is not at this, excuse me, is not welcome at this table. It's about blessing and not cursing others. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As it says here, if possible, so as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is the key word right here, you. You can't control someone else's words or actions, but you can control your own. 
We're called as the church to live peaceably with all. You may not have restored relationships with certain people, but as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I love this. I love this verse. And this is why. Because people expect you to be as loud as they are. People expect you to shout back at them when they shout at you. People, when they undercut you, they expect you to undercut them. When they speak ill of you, they expect you to speak ill of them. But what if the church was different? What if you as a follower of Jesus, as part of the church, were different? What if you fed your enemy or gave drink, drink or met their needs? Because the scripture is saying is that it's like setting burning coals on their head, which as you picture someone that you just don't get along with or you may consider an enemy, you're like, yeah, see that coal on their head. But what he's saying here is they expect the harshness back. But when you serve them, they're going like, what is going on? Oh, it's unexpected. And the way of Jesus is unexpected. The way of Jesus causes this confusion in them of like, I don't get it. They should be yelling at me right now. They should be cutting back at me. Oh, why is this important? Because it goes from enemy and stranger to guest, to friend, to family. It's creating an environment of welcome, allowing Jesus to do the transformation and for there to be a new humanity. See, we think if we're just, you know, cut back, everything will be solved. All of a sudden, they'll be like, yep, I'm wrong, I need Jesus, praise the Lord. It's an environment of welcome, Jesus doing the transformation in a new humanity. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. With good. Jesus is good. The way of Jesus is good. Paul wrote this to the church at Galatia. He said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, to love God and love others. He's like, eh, why don't you bear one another's burdens? Why don't you carry their burdens? How do we pick up the load for fellow brothers and sisters? How do we pick up that load? How do we carry that? How do we serve one another? We can go back and reread chapter 12 again and again. See, we're there for one another. So we all have times where these check engine lights come on in our life and in the, the lives of people around us. There's all these times for care. In church, you are called to care for one another. You're called to care. You're called to be there. This is for every single one of us. And over the last number of years, I've been talking about how do we better care for one another here? Not only to encourage you to care for one another, but in a very intentional way as a church, how do we build structures that we can help people care for one another better? And so a number of years ago, Lori Craft and I started talking and having these conversations and praying 
as her heart has been for other people who are hurting. When we started these conversations, we did not see the last couple years coming with COVID and, and only anticipate and as we've witnessed need increase for care. About 45 years ago, Stephen Ministry was started. And a number of you have heard of Stephen Ministry quite possibly, and they've been equipping followers of Jesus to care for one another, to provide this emotional and spiritual support for those hurting and in need, to really love one another. And so as all of us are called to care for one another, to be Jesus' hands and feet, God is calling some of you to take a next step even further in this level of care for our congregation and also for our community. So beginning this fall, what we're gonna do is we're gonna train Stephen ministers. We're gonna train for people to help other people going through a crisis or life difficulty in a one-on-one environment. This is a place where needs are assessed and you're properly paired with someone who can walk with you. Men with men, women with women. And some of the common reasons that people seek a a Stephen minister is medical crises, divorce or broken relationships, end-of-life issues, long-term illnesses, financial difficulties, a a deployment of a loved one, grief, job loss, major life transitions, and so much more. And again, this is one-on-one, ongoing, Christ-centered, caring relationships. Stephen ministers are going to be trained well. They're gonna be trained well. You're gonna be given tools. You're gonna be able to engage a conversation with someone walking through these situations because many of you right now are going like, there's no way I could help someone through those things. Well, at the end of the training, you will be able to help any of those situations, a person in any of those situations. It's distinctive Christian care. You'll learn active listening skills, how to deal with difficult emotions, crisis and intervention, confidentiality, boundaries, how to minister well, when to seek the care of, or the help of a pastor or a mental health professional. You're gonna grow spiritually. And these tools that you learn as part of this, it's gonna carry over into everyday life. So it's not just gonna be those that you connect with through Stephen Ministry here. You're gonna be able to better handle and walk and process with family and friends and coworkers and neighbors. It's gonna bless you in a major way. And so I want you to hear me clearly. Again, everyone is called to care, but not everyone is called to be a Stephen Minister. There's an application process and significant training and education. Because we do this because we want you as a congregation, when you seek care from a Stephen minister, we want you to know that you're getting the best care possible. When you encourage a a friend or a family member or a neighbor or someone in the community, hey, why don't you go connect with a Stephen minister at my church? We want you to have the confidence that they are getting the best care possible. And so, If God is stirring something in you, even this inkling of like, wow, this is intriguing. This could be a possibility. I ask you to pray on this and also to talk to Lori. Lori's gonna come up in just a minute here. Lori's gonna be back there with uh, where the Stephen Minister sign is. She's gonna be holding an information meeting too on September 14th where any and all questions will be asked and answered uh, to the best of uh, her ability in that way. And, uh, and over the next month or so, we're gonna start doing some interviews and selection process for our first class that's gonna go through and be Stephen Ministers. And so, <clears throat> Lori has been working hard to bring us to this point. Um, the training she's gone through already has been spectacular, and I'm eager eventually to go through this training. 
and uh, it's just good stuff. So she's been trained as a Stephen leader to oversee our Stephen ministers. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna commission her for ministry uh, today. So I'm gonna invite Lori to come forward, and as she comes forward, uh, I just said the word commission, and you may be thinking like someone said to me earlier this week, we've been commissioning a lot of people recently. And, and what my reply was, is, that's a really good thing. It's the church being the church, being intentional uh, about ministry. And so Lori is gonna serve as our Stephen leader. Uh, we've uh, asked you to do that, and your heart has just been there, and we've processed and prayed through this. And uh, we get to commission our first one. And Lori, you're gonna organize and train and supervise our Stephen ministers. Uh, you're gonna give just this high-quality care and help them give this high-quality care to You've been trained through the Stephen Ministry Bridge Training Course. Uh, you've been asked to serve here, and uh, you're gifting and equipping even before this. God has been bringing you to this point. It's been very evident in a conversation and prayer. And, uh, you know, in congregation, we want to be open to this care. Um, like I said, even if God's knocking on the door of saying, hey, this is something that you could do as a, a Stephen minister, maybe you want to talk to her. And then also, some of you will receive care. Uh, from a Stephen minister eventually, uh, and they'll be a blessing to you. So, Lori, I wanna ask you a quick question here before we commission you, is um, really how has this process in your training impacted you? What is maybe a big thing that you've really learned through this? Well, it, like, as Chris said, it's been a lot of training, but before I started the Stephen ministry part of the training, I had already gone through um, training to become a certified life coach. So... I will tell you that the one thing is, is when you step forward to do training, it's not just about what you're doing. You learn a lot about yourself. So I have grown a lot, and which has brought me to this point of being able to stand here. And Chris and I have been talking for a long time, and it's time to take that next step. And the one thing I didn't mention earlier was this, when you become a Stephen minister, you are going to minister to the people, but we're also helping Chris. We're helping our pastoral staff. We've all seen how much has happened over the next or the last year and a half and how it has built the needs within the church of being able to care and minister to others. And this is gonna provide help for our staff. So I'm excited about that part of it and that we can come alongside and work with you. Thank you, I appreciate that. What has God taught you personally uh, through this training process in this last year? That I can be equipped and that he has called me, and that whatever I step forward, if he has called me, I can do it. And so that's where I'm at. Yeah, the beautiful thing is really, it is Christ-centered and it's spirit-dependent, and so um, like, well, you'll train, and you've been trained, and there's still this gap, um, because I feel that in my role as a pastor is that I need the Spirit's power and direction all the time, and many times I'll sit and just be like, all right, God, what, what do you want me to say? And that's a, a beautiful thing, a surrender there. So. I wanna read a couple things to you, Lori, and then I'm gonna ask you to reply here in just a moment. So Lori, because of your gifts, your calling, and your training, we charge you with these responsibilities. To spread the word about our Stephen ministry, to educate people about what it involves, to cast a vision for this crucial ministry, to carefully recruit, select, and train congregation members with the gifts, talents, and character to serve as Stephen ministers, to draw on the resources of our congregation and community to enrich in the training and supervision of Stephen ministers in this congregation, to work with me to identify members of our congregation who would benefit from this confidential caring opportunity, to match hurting people with Stephen ministers based on what will best, will best meet their needs, and then finally to supervise these confidential caring relationships 
and offer regular opportunities for continuing growth in the skills and practice of this caring ministry. So Lori, two questions for you. Is will you assume this ministry in the confidence that it comes from God? If so, reply with yes, with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. And then Lori, will you nurture the skills you have learned and use them in the service of others to support, encourage, and build up people and enable excellent care while trusting in God's healing? If so, response, respond, yes, with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. All right, and then I ask you, the, the congregation representing uh, the body here is members and congregants of FBC, will you open your hearts to the ministry of our Stephen leader and our Stephen ministers and pray for them, especially Lori, as she serves our church? If so, reply with yes, with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. And I too, as the pastor of this church, stand here before you and, and the congregation to say that I support it, that I'll stand with you, that I'll do what I can, and always to, to help uh, in the leadership and then also in the connection of uh, this. So let's pray for Lori, and I invite you, if you so choose, to extend your hand in agreement uh, if you'd like. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for Lori. We thank you for the gifting that you have equipped her, that you have built her, God, in both the painful and the joy-filled moments of her life. God, thank you for her heart of care, God, for her leadership and for her training. And so, God, as you've called Lori into this path of caring, you've gifted and empowered her for this task. God, may you grant her joy and service and a spirit of bold trust in you. Lord, may this ministry stir up great care in this church and in this community. And God, may it be fruitful for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, help us both to be willing servants for those who minister and those who receive the ministry. Father, may you be glorified. And may your people live in peace and good and gracious will be done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Lord, we thank you for Lori, for those that you're gonna use and equip. And so Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. You're commissioned, and may you serve him in the power of the Spirit. So, Thank thanks, Lori. And so, church, encourage you, again, if there's an inkling of desire to pray on this, to visit with Lori, uh, she'll be around the next couple weeks, too, and we'll continue to talk about this. And I'm just excited, uh, as I was talking to some people heading out of service, last service, is just the... Um, just how God is already moving on some people. And, uh, and we're, we're excited for what God's gonna do and how he's gonna use this. And so.